Uh, it's basically smart clothing uh, that is powered by teeny, tiny, teeny. It's a, the suit is powered by tiny motors, uh, which contract, jeez, <laughs> holy cap. Okay, let me start that again. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name's Robino, and uh, I'm joined here by Mr. Ryan Flurry. That's me. Uh, and hey, special guest, Ryan, you want to introduce him? We do have a special guest today, not in studio, but joining us remotely from... The wilds of... Where are you? <laughs> Where are you, mystery guest? On, on the north arm of the Fraser River in Vancouver. Excellent is our friend of the show, Adam Wilton. And we'll Thanks so much for having me again. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, for those super fans who have, who have listened to us uh, since the beginning, I think, I think Adam was on like our fourth or fifth fourth show. Fourth or fifth, yeah. It was uh, early on, yeah. It yeah. was, it was um, back when I was... Uh, uh, well, actually, you know, it's funny. I said back when I was publicizing the braille challenge i still am every chance i get um but uh yeah that was that was a, that was a that was a time ago well and speaking of the braille challenge i'm just gonna throw throw this whole podcast in a different direction at the moment rob sorry about that no go ahead throw it in whatever direction you want so the braille challenge actually just wrapped up again well hold on wait okay yeah. before you do that before you do that let's let everybody know who adam is because oh sure a, the, who, and what, who he works for and all that and then we can go into the braille challenge so okay. yeah why am i here <laughs> should i say do you want me to say a little bit about myself absolutely sure okay so um i am the manager of the provincial resource center for the visually impaired uh, we're a provincial resource program in British Columbia, um, essentially uh, working to make sure that students with perceptual disabilities have access to learning materials in a format that they require, so accessible formats. Um, uh, my background is as a teacher of students with visual impairments and an orientation and mobility specialist, and I've been in the blindness and visual impairment field for about uh, 11 years now. Jeez, Ryan, why didn't you book somebody who's qualified? <laughs> <laughs> Who are these crackpots you keep booking on the show? <laughs> my, my. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, now. Yeah, and now, and so, delighted to talk about the Braille Challenge, though, because it, another hat that I wear is as the provincial coordinator of the BC or the British Columbia Regional Braille Challenge. Um, so the Braille Challenge actually just wrapped up again, uh, I think last month or a couple weeks ago. And was BC represented, or how did, how did Canada do? Definitely. So um, we had uh, two students from Canada uh, participate in the national um, uh, uh, event. Uh, and actually, it's more accurately described as an international event, because, of course, we have students coming from both Canada and the U.S. who are participating in regional events across North America. And then the top 50 students from across Canada and the U.S. Uh, are invited to Los Angeles for the finals. And uh, this year, 
at the 2018 finals, we had two students um, from Canada participate. Incidentally, both students were from British Columbia. Excellent. Uh, and uh, one of those students uh, placed third in her category. And so we were uh, we were very uh, we we're very proud of both uh, young ladies who uh, who participated. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, nice to see one of them uh, pick up an award uh, in her in her category. So yeah, we did uh, our British Columbia students uh, did very well this year. And for those who don't know, can you just do a quick overview of what the Braille Challenge is? Sure. So the Braille Challenge is a Braille reading and writing competition that takes place all across North America with either students writing one-on-one with their teacher of students with visual impairments, or if they um, have one in their region, they'll go to a regional challenge where students will um, you know, come together for a day and... Um, uh, a day of fun and uh, competition. Uh, there's four, cat- uh, four uh, sorry, five categories. Uh, so students participate in events like spelling, um, reading comprehension, um, proofreading. Uh, older students will do something called uh, speed and accuracy, and that's where they're uh, listening to a file and transcribing what they're hearing into Braille. Um, and then the older students will also uh, explore uh, tactile graphics and maps and answer questions related to those. And um, yeah, as I said, the uh, all of the scores from across uh, North America are kind of put together in the top 10 students in each um, uh, age category. There are five age uh, categories uh, are invited to LA and it, it's a it's a big event. Uh, we have it on the campus of the University of Southern California. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a it's a really big show. It's streamed live on YouTube every year. Uh, and um, yeah, no, and, and I'm, I'm just I'm proud to say that our students from British Columbia habitually are at the national challenge and uh, international challenge. And then some years are, are representing uh, the whole country. And it's for, I should also mention it's for students who uh, read and write in Braille uh, from um, uh, grades one through grades 12. And has the Braille challenge, I'm assuming they've adopted UEB. Oh, definitely across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, across, through both Canada and the U.S., the entire challenge is uh, in the Unified uh, English Braille Code. Uh, there isn't a great deal of well, there's no math content, and there's um, there's only kind of minimal technical content in some of the graphs. So um, it there isn't uh, for, you know for those for those who know. Um, there are some parts of the United States that have maintained the previous math and science code, the Nemeth code, um, in at that state level. Uh, but it's been a fairly smooth transition, I, I feel, um, for students from across North America to the UEB. Excellent. All right. So that was my rant. Rob, take it away. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, hey. Well, why don't uh, why don't why don't we start out with uh, telling telling people what the heck we're doing today and why Adam is here? Well, today is our monthly news show. So for July, we decided to invite Adam in as a guest host to give us his thoughts, opinions, or just rant on the topics that Rob is going to pull out of his hat. Ooh, rant! I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I, I like that. I like that the ranting is a feature of this. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> at ranter. 
Uninformed rants are our specialty, sir. Uh, yeah, and you may notice that, uh, of course, that uh, Steve is not with us today. Uh, Steve is off today doing doing actual work. Yeah. So uh, it actually works out well that Adam's uh, here to join us and then give us a hand talking about some stories. Wonderful. Uh, all right. This. Uh, why don't we start out with actually? Let's start, let's start out with a with a braille piece. Uh, I, I noticed that Ryan sent me this today. Yeah, sorry, Adam, I didn't fire it up to you because I didn't. Oh know no, that's Rob, okay. Rob was going to okay. include it, but it is braille related, <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna okay. like it. Uh, now I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I quite follow all the details of this. Ryan, did you read this over? No. God, Ryan. <laughs> oh, you did, I was wait, doing real work this did morning. Did you just see the word braille and just be like this? Here you go. This is <laughs> all right. Uh, well, it's a story from our good friends at Cool Blind Tech. Shout out to them. Uh, reprogrammable Braille could eliminate reading multiple books to just a few pages. Uh, now, apparently researchers mm. at uh, the Harvard John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences have created reprogrammable Braille that could eliminate the need for unique pages without using a Braille display. Uh, it's described as a framework to encode memory in the form of Braille-like dimples and bumps onto a blank, lattice-free material. This material is as dynamic as the words it can contain, changing as needed to reflect the new text. So from, hmm. from the story, apparently this stuff is it's a thin, curved, elastic shell um, using forces on each end and then made indents with a basic stylus. Once you remove the compression, the shell remembers the indents and then you can erase them by stretching the shell. So, I mean, it sounds kind of like a, like, I don't know, it's a kind of a simple, simple. Like analogy. a braille etch sketch yeah, That's exactly what I was going to say. It's <laughs> like an etch sketch where you could, you could put the braille down and then, so, I mean, it's essentially like a, like a, a refreshable sheet, a physical right. sheet, as opposed right. to a refreshable braille display. Uh, interesting. So this is real. This is really interesting. I'm, I'm wondering though, just out loud, you know, how much of this, you know, if if, if you're making the indentation, does it, like, would one have to use their Slate and Stylus skills here, or would it, would it recognize that it would need to invert? the the depression made by the user yeah that's a good question um i don't know that the article really talks about that it sounds like this is really at the beginning um, right yeah and that that's always the that's all the, the always the caveat that i think i have because of course you know as as someone who who you know works in literacy for students or uh, blind or visually impaired, um, whenever someone finds out what I do for a living, they instinctively find send me every article with Braille in it from the <laughs> internet they come across. It's like, I, I don't need Google News alerts. I just have my friends. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is always the caveat that I have with these, with some of the um, really, really early technologies. You know, well, what's the skill set required? Like, what what's the knowledge and skills that's going to undergird this? Um, because while while some of this technology may replace the you know the physical or may change the physical materials we need. Ultimately, though, we need to make sure that students have the skills and knowledge and the conceptual understanding to be able to use it effectively. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the upside of it is that I, I think it's always exciting when there is some sort of new technology 
being brought to Braille. Um, you know, certainly, certainly we need that. Um, Definitely. We, we, we need the cost of, of Braille to come down um, in terms of, of devices. You know, stuff like refreshable Braille displays, as we all know, uh, you know, the, the cost is so high. So the fact that, th that there are things in development, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Braille Me is a is one that we've we've talked about a little bit about on the on the show before the orbit reader mm -hmm. these new braille technologies that that can help drive the price down a little bit and help braille be that much more accessible to uh consumers mm -hmm. so it's always a good thing oh definitely I think the key the key though with some of this technology is making sure that you know we're we're taking a kind of a more uh, like an integrative approach where, you know, reading and writing are combined in the same device. Right. Um, you know, I think that's why one of the reasons why Braille note takers have persisted and continue to persist, persist not only in the K to 12 sector, but beyond um, because, you know, you've got the reading and the writing components so, so um, perfectly integrated right. or not perfectly, but, you know, uh, so efficiently integrated. Um, Cause you know, I think of things like, this technology you're describing, Rob, sounds fantastic. I'm wondering, um, you know, does it have a USB port? You know, like, is there is 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 this just a writing tool? Is it also a reading tool? Are you yeah. only reading your own input? Curious. Yeah, yeah, it is. Although, I mean, man, you know, if they if they can manage to get this material cemented, you know, they could apply that to any number of of different devices, and and so. I think that's the sort of the key. I mean, this is this is technology that's really, really at its at the foundation. If they can figure out the material, who knows what they might be able to apply? Oh, it it's, to. It's, so it's 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 very cool just to imagine, you know. And, and I think it, what's really neat about this is that it's a modality shift. You know, like where we're thinking of, like yes. we're not just we're not just thinking of refining what we currently have. Like, for example, we're not thinking of refining or, on, or, or only refining, let's say, like a refreshable pin display. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're also thinking about what are some new what are some new what are some new materials that we could be using? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. So uh, so that's yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and I think, you know, we kind of passed over something really, really important is I think for the last 10 to 15 years, I know Steve and myself and, and many other people in the industry have been wondering why Braille note takers are still around. And I think, Adam, you answered that question. You know, it's the, it's the combination of being able to do the reading and writing. Right. And, and you know, we, we see this shift now with note takers to kind of bring, bring note takers more in line with, um, with you know, tablets and, and, and you know, uh, as, as the more, you know, portable computing uh, side of things have, has really taken off, you know, from the iPad on up, uh, on long rather, um, you, you're seeing more integration there, but the, like, like fundamentally a note taker is still a note taker. Right. Uh, in terms of the refreshable display and the six key entry and, you know, the, the ability to, um, to work in some cases almost exclusively um, from the note taker and then also having the ability to be able to send a, uh, a teacher who doesn't read Braille, uh, a PDF right. or, uh, or, or a doc. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, uh, yeah, until, 
I think it, it, just in, in my own practice as a teacher of students with visual impairments, you know, it, it uh, braille note taker for students who can use them effectively still really, um, you know, it occupies a really central piece in their overall assistive technology toolkits. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, this could, you know, it, if they develop this this technology to its you know logical conclusion, we could be talking about a device that would be like almost like a almost like a Braille Kindle, because you could you could literally you know have a book loaded onto it mm-hmm. that you know every you know it, and, but it could literally be a physical physical one page device like mm-hmm. the Canute. Yeah, sort of like, yeah. but just, but that's, that just loads yeah, the multi, every, the that, multi-line display. Yeah. yeah. That, that loads a page, you know, once you're done that page, it loads the next page right. and you know, it's, so that's, it's really cool. That is, that's pretty yeah. cool. The, the idea, the idea, like I, it's been actually several years now before I, I can't remember the exact name. I, I don't know that it ever made it beyond the quote unquote ghostware phase, right. but you know, this idea of like an electrosensitive polymer. Yes, or something, right. right? That's something that would react to to changes in electrical current or stimulation, um, and that would be that would be the dot formation. Right. That's how that's how the dots would be would be raised, and then um, it would be it would be just inherently refreshable because you'd be working on like a binary, like like stimulated or not stimulated, you know, in terms yep. of dots being raised and uh, raised or lowered. So that I mean I think that that's that's exactly what I was kind of referring to before this this idea that you know we're we're looking at this in a broad scope and not simply just refining what's most ubiquitous right now, which is the the pin the you know the the single line um, pin display. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's great to know that there are people out there that are much smarter than we are yep. that are that are <laughs> thinking outside the box. I mean I think that yeah. that's I mean I think that you hit on it perfectly is that. You know, for a long time, everybody was just trying to sort of play with the same old technology and figure out a way to make it more efficient. But really, when you're talking about pins and, and you know, sort of the old, the, the old, you know, school of thought in terms of, of Braille displays and, and Braille technology, you know, refreshable Braille technology, there, there just hasn't been a lot new under the sun for the past. Nothing that's stuck. Yeah, nothing no. that's stuck. I, I mean, I guess they've they've tried, but I mean, it's it's yeah. just really hard. So it's exciting to know that uh, there there's stuff in the works. And I think the you know and this is this is a little plug from my own bias in the education sector. But I think what's really exciting is that when the, this technology, from kind of a research and development perspective, reaches a certain point, you know, bringing in the education side of things, so that you know. The developers can get a sense of well, how would we introduce this to students? What's the background conceptual knowledge that they're going to have to come to this technology with in order to be able to use it effectively? Uh, and I've been really, you know, I've actually been you know, quite excited to see uh, some um, some developers doing that, um, you know, and, and connecting with the education community um, as a means of 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 really making sure that like sure the technology works and it might be you know really attractive um but at the end of the day unsupported technology is going to end up propping a door open somewhere mm-hmm. at some point 
Yeah, that's I mean, right. We we know that we we know that in the K to twelve sector that you know if if assistive technology is is not appropriately supported at least at least initially, the likelihood that it's going to um, you know be a persistent feature in that student's toolbox is quite low. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, that's I guess that's just my like shameless education sector plug there um, that in all of these new technologies, it's, you know, it's really important to focus on the, the teaching and learning side of things as well to make sure that whatever, whatever fabulous new technologies developed ends up being sustainable. All right. So that's, so that's my first plug. <laughs> Keep track of how many plugs I make. We'll, see. well, because... we'll see if you can get a plug out of the next story. Good luck on this one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, here, th- okay. This, this next one, uh, this one's near and dear to, to me and Ryan's hearts. Uh, Seismic super suit helps old people move. <laughs> the Iron Man suit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, no, this is uh, this is about a, a company called Seismic that has developed what they're calling a super suit, which uh, you read the article, it's, it's not a super suit, but <laughs> still very cool. A company called Seismic has developed what they're calling a super suit, uh, which is essentially a piece of smart clothing that is powered by tiny motors which uh, contract the fabric in a way that mimics the human muscle. So, and again, this is this is tech that's at its at super super foundational level. They're still developing it, but the long and the short of it is is that it could be clothing that could be worn to assist people who obviously have you know arthritis, have some sort of uh, limited mobility, and the um, the motors and the um, I don't know, they're calling them electric muscles, could be helped to sort of augment movement and help, say, people who would need normally need to walk with a cane, they may be able to walk unassisted. So what if the computer brain and the smart clothing takes over? You decide you don't want to move, and it, it starts yeah. moving, you really? and you don't want to move. Ryan, that's and, why I love you. And then you're just, walking you just go traffic. just straight no, to no, just no. like... A, <laughs> It's it's the AI, right? It's it's the overlords. You just you just go straight straight down negativity lane. Well, right? if that was the it. case, I might actually get my push-ups done in the morning. That's yes. true too. Well, that's a whole other. You know, we, it's, we we had a we had a great podcast with a guy named Mark Kingwell uh, the other week, and uh, that's what my mind went straight to too. It's just the way that this AI this technology over. could be completely perverted into something that. Uh, no, this is, but th- this is, okay, getting back on track though. It's, um, the idea of smart clothing um, has, they've been playing with this for a while, um, but this is the, the one of the really first ones that I've seen that, that has a real AT potential. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know, what's your take on this, Ryan? Other than well, other than negativity, yeah. No, I think it's great. You know, there's like you like you said, there's more and more talk of, of smart clothing, and if it helps somebody get up and about, you know, helps them or helps get them motivated to exercise or to get out of their house to gain a little bit more independence, uh, more power to it. I'm all for it. Yeah, just to give give it a little bit, give them a little bit more power. Um, you know this. You know it does raise a, a lot of questions and a lot of implications down the road. I mean, if if this takes off or it's developed in this sense, could it eventually? Could the technology eventually get good enough that you know you're, we're talking about people who um, you know with CP 
mm-hmm. could they you know walk unassisted um or even heck way down the road could this could this you know help people who are paralyzed i'm really curious just listening to the you know listen to the the story and thinking about the applications about you know the possibilities or you know what what are the parameters around the interface here like like i i get the sense in this early stage that we're looking at kind of like movement augmentation but yeah rob i think the idea of like movement replacement That's like right. almost like a sub movement like or like a substitution um is a really exciting possibility yeah and i mean i know that they're they're working on things you know it's th- this is a little different than than smart clothing, but uh, I saw a piece the other day on um, an exoskeleton that a company was was developing that would essentially be worn, um, and their application for it was sort of, they were going towards um, people who do a lot of um, repetitive motion in, in right. construction, like who are right. using grinders and stuff, that lifting grinders above their heads and stuff. You know, people who work with those all day, you know, get a lot of re- repetitive strain injuries. And their application for these exoskeletons would be that it would actually, you know, the, the exoskeleton would do most of the work in terms of lifting, lifting and, and, holding. and the holding of, the say, the grinder in place. So really, you know, all the human inside the exoskeleton would have to do is just sort of steer the... Um, the device instead of having to lift it and hold it in position. So, you know, things like that, um, you know, helping, you know, more, more of in the lines of assisting as opposed to replacement is sort of where, where it's at now. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to think that eventually it could get good enough where we could be talking about um, people being able to walk again. Well, and I think, you know, you have physiotherapists coming into your home, you know, they can bring the smart clothing in with them or you could have it already. I would think, you know, doing something or having a tool like this in your tool belt may help recovery a lot faster as well. That's right. That's very true, too. Uh, I didn't even think of that. But, yeah, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, motor relearning, things like that. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But, I mean, you know, again, going to where it could be perverted, I mean, also, <laughs> but I mean, really, I mean, it could, could you not, if somebody who's able-bodied put one of these things on, and, and now you're talking about... Superpower? Well, not superpower. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be ridiculous about it, but, but who knows? I don't know. Could you hack it? Could you make it, could you make yourself three times as strong as you normally were? Uh, how is that all going to work? So... Yeah, I wonder if it's got like different levels of the electronic muscle control, like starting low, if you're, if you're doing rehabilitation, start with low, you know, stimulation, work your way up to medium and then high. Next yeah. thing you know, you're, you're putting your fist through cars and stuff. Yeah, well, exactly. Or I'm thinking like runners, like, like you know how they, how they have those electric bikes now where you can, like, you can pedal and stuff, but then you can like, turn on a little, little yeah. electric yeah, motor to help. Yeah, pedal assist, yeah. So you could have like put on leggings or something that... You know, just run a marathon and you're just like, you know, eating some yogurt and watching Netflix while you do it because you're not really doing any of the work. <laughs> just just running or just chasing cars. I don't Like, I don't know. Now my mind's going to the $6 million man. There you go. Jumping. Well, it's, it's an interesting prospect because, you know, you're, you're basically thinking about taking functions that you would need like a separate, you know, machine apparatus to complete and you're essentially just mapping them onto the individual 
Yeah. So it's a, like it's a, it's a, it's a, and when we were really doing stuff like that already with you know things like the Google Glass and whatnot. Um, you know, where we're, and I think that, that, that's actually really the kind of the key, the key piece around a lot of some of the wearable technologies that, you know, you're basically taking something that existed as a standalone apparatus and just mapping it onto the human form. That's right. Cyborgs. Well, you we don't even need cyborg. You could just be a temporary cyborg. You just yeah. put on your, put on your clothing and, and, uh, walk out the door. We temporary go. RoboCop. Superman. <laughs> Interesting stuff, boys. Uh, okay, on to the next thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, bone conduction wireless glasses. Uh, this is an interesting product. Um, for those people who aren't familiar with bone conduction uh, technology, uh, there, and there's a, there's a few companies that, that make these. They're called bone, uh, bone conduction headphones. And the way that they work is uh, through vibration. They actually sit... Um, they don't sit over top of your ear. They sit sort of just beside. Kind of on your cheekbone. It transmits the sound that way through through vibration as opposed to an earbud that would sit inside your ear. And, you know, generally it's they've been, they've been very useful for, say, the blind community who, you know, want to be able to wear uh, headphones, but they also want to be able to have their ears open to be able to be aware of their surroundings. Uh, and that's, that's generally how it's been touted both in the mainstream and within the, the blindness community. So they're very cool. Um, and what this company has now done is they've made a pair of, of bone conduction headphones, but instead of being a headphone, they're, they're glasses. So the glasses would sit on your face as a, as a normal pair of glasses were, and then sort of the ends of them, I'm assuming, would be the, the part that, that would vibrate and, and allow you to, quote, hear uh, whatever. And they're wireless, so they would connect to your, to your phone. So I'm assuming that they'd be able to, uh, you know, whatever, play your Spotify playlist. They'd be able to um, talk on the phone, get uh, notifications, that kind of thing. Ryan, what did you think of this? I think, you know, the more tools we have in our tool bag, the better. I think, you know, bone conduction is, is a great asset. Anything to keep our hands and, and ears, you know, free and open, you know, gives us, again, more independence to hear the bus, you know, plowing through the red light or, you know, uh, get notifications on our phone, um, hands-free, you know, not having to dig around in your purse or your bag. Um, I think it's great. I hope it takes off. I do too. I mean, this is something where, you know, you think of glasses, if, you know, if, if, uh, if you're consider, let's say you're, um, a blind traveler who's consistently using, uh, GPS, um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's one less thing that you have to, you have to remember, or, or a user with low vision, let's say, um, who's, who's consistently using GPS when traveling, um, you don't have to worry about remembering your headphones because chances are you're not going to forget your glasses. You, uh, that's true. That's true. I mean, I, I guess when, when I first saw this, I th my first thought went, well, why, what's the advantage of putting this in the form of, a, of glasses as opposed to just headphones? Because bone conduction wireless headphones are out there. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're very common. So what's, I, I, just, I just wondered immediately. Well, I think typically glasses don't fall off your face. Headphones can slide down or on Fair your enough. neck, fall off your body. Yep. 
and you know maybe there's something to to what Adam was saying too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just you're you're just less likely to forget them, or um, or, or you know maybe it's it's a purely aesthetic reason. You just look less like a weirdo. Well, I just think if they were to build this technology into mainstream glasses, you know, so you you know, let's say you are low vision yet you still have some functional vision. Yeah, you're still wearing you know maybe really strong lenses in your glasses that maybe they build the Bluetooth technology into those glasses. So okay. you're still wearing your regular glasses, but now they also have this added function of, you know, the Bluetooth. Yeah, you, you may be right. Well, and if you take it even further and you look at something, you know, that, that, that you know, would integrate, you know, camera or OCR yes. type yep. technology, um, you know, you could you could essentially just have like a powerful room viewing system on your face. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I mean, that's, you know, look at the Google Glass. I mean, you, I, you know, I, I still feel that the Google Glass was a little bit ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, I think, the only thing that was wrong with that. I, I think people weren't quite ready for that level of, of you know, augmented reality and, and all that kind of stuff. But so I still feel like that that concept is going to come back around uh we are going to be having you know smart glasses are, are going to be a thing in five ten years um you know we're, we're going to be so so maybe that idea of of something a device that's that's like that's in the form of glasses that all of this stuff can be rolled into as as a you know an all-in-one sort of solution you know it could have a camera on it so that it could it could assist people who are visually impaired have the bone conduction thing also have the the all the ar capabilities for for mainstream users as well right so well and let's hope it's somebody in the mainstream who comes up with a product like this because then the price will be a lot more reasonable well, we we know how that works. You know, it's there, there'll be several different companies that they'll there'll be competition. You know, that's mm -hmm. part of the frustrating thing about a, a lot of this stuff is is that uh, they develop a technology and then you know you have a bunch of different companies trying you know competing for that for the market share and so although I, you know who knows maybe that's that's healthy. Yeah, I'm just looking for our next story. Uh, do we want to talk about Google Duplex? I don't think we really need to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't care. I don't, it, it's, it's, yeah. Adam, do you know what Google Duplex is? I, 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 I must admit, fellows, I skimmed the article. That's, um, that's fine. But, yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's creepy. <laughs> yeah, I think we just enjoy it's, talking. It's, it's, it's basically just, you know, automated voice contact, correct? Yeah, it's Google's AI that's going to allow you to basically use your assistant or their duplex, I guess, to make dinner reservations, hair, hair appointments. A lot of call centers are going to adopt it as well. So you, you're not going to be talking to live agents. You're going to be talking to AI. Right. Okay. I, I think yeah, the, I mean, the, it, the, the interesting thing that for me anyways, that, that I always take away from talking about duplex is the fact that they've, they've, they're, pro, they're really actively trying to program in, like real human verbal tics, like the oh the ums, ums and ahs and things, and yeah. yeah, like how many likes do we need to put in this? Oh, I, yeah. oh, I, you know, I, I want to go back and do a little bit of research and find out when humans started using the word like for everything, because mm -hmm. when I was growing up, we didn't use like you know Adam when we went to the store like I bought yeah, some yeah. ice cream yeah, and but, like like when did like become such a, yeah, a but, word in our vernacular well, vocabulary. But, 
Well, but sure. But I mean, you could, you, I mean, we had our own verbal tick back then. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't remember what they were. But. That dude. <laughs> I like, I don't I, I know. Think, like, you know what? These have always been, I remember, I remember learning something um, early in my university days that really stuck with me and actually, you know, ma- maintains its relevance today when, when people ask me, well, you know, um, can't students with visual impairments just, you know, listen to everything. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, obviously that's a, that's a, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but, you know, if you were to take a verbatim transcript of just day-to-day conversation, oh, we would all be shocked at how we, oh, you know, yeah. we, we, I, we would be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it's referred to as kind of like the poverty of speech, right? That like, like our, our input, our, our brains do a lot to clean up the input that we get from, <laughs> from others. Uh, some more than others, I guess. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, there's more of the like socio-emotional side of talking to something that sounds like a human. That's exactly but then it. By the, right. But then by the other, by the other token, um, seriously, like I would shudder to look at the verbatim transcript of our conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, you know, and they say that, you know, they've done that in order to make the automated assistant more natural, more more comfortable for people to interact with. Um, You know, they found that when it's an an artificial sounding um, voice, um, the people just hung up or they just completely, you know, disengaged. So I find that I find that really fascinating that, you know, they're they're actively working to sort of to sort of make these these AIs more more human. And, you know, of course, my mind goes to, you know, the next level as to where where do you stop? (laughs) And uh, and so I I don't know, I think for for me, the the big interesting part of the Google duplex conversation was goes back to I.O. when they when they first demoed it and the blowback that they got for Mm -hmm. that. Because people don't like that. I think the blowback, though, was that there was no indication you were talking to an AI bot, right? I think if they were disclosed up front, you're going to be listening to our new you know, Google Duplex AI bot who's going to make these reservations. This is you know, AI. This is not a real person. I don't think the blowback would have been as, as big and scary I guess as so. people took it. Because, yeah, when they, when they did that demo... There was a lot of people going, "Whoa, no! This is this is too creepy. This is invasive. We can't have this." And here we are. Mm, They're yeah. launching it this summer. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I don't know, but you know, the other side of it too is just like, you know what? Just just make your own damn hair appointment. <laughs> why, why are we spending money on all this stuff to make to, so that? Well, because we're a so society the, the Google now. Home can make your hair appointment. Well, we're a society now where, you know, we're we're going hands free instead of pulling out your phone. And, and talking to your phone or actually punching a number in your phone, you can just say, hey, G, or, you know, to your Amazon Echo, you know, call so-and-so and make me an appointment, and it'll do that for you. Well, you know what? That's a, right? that's a, that's a perfect segue into, into this next story. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Firefox and Firefox. The, f- the, fire, the fact that Mozilla is working on a voice-controlled uh, web browser. Which would be very interesting because the web is so messy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is okay. So let me let me read a little bit about this. So Mozilla uh, is is of course the maker of Firefox. Uh, they they are working on a web browser called Scout that will be operated completely by voice as opposed to keyboard or mouse 
or uh, touchscreen tabs. All right. Well, Ryan, what do you think about this? I think, again, it's it's something that I really hope takes off for those in the disability community who need access or, or only have access by voice because there are people out there who can't use a traditional mouse or keyboard. Right. You know, maybe eye gaze isn't an option either. So, you know, having voice as an option, sure, why not? Well, we have products, you know, like, like JSAY and, you know, Dragon Voice Recognition that will allow you to do web navigation. Um, but again, you know, there's there's a pretty steep learning curve in a product like, you know, JAWS and JSAY. And it will, you know, get you, you know, 90, 95% there. But the web is, is so dynamic. It's changing all the time. Um, you know, they... I. They, Mozilla would really have to stay on top of their development, I think, in order to make this work really well. You know, the the, the flip, the the other part of this component that is incredibly powerful in terms of, of AT, of course, is that this thing would also read the article to you. So what, you, what we're talking about here is is essentially a a fully equipped uh, browser screen reader. So does it actually just like does it know the difference between the article and all the other? Well, we don't know. See, that's content the, on the website that is yeah, irrelevant. That that's, I found it interesting in the article that you know it does it does imply that users with vision loss, um, you know, would would benefit here. But in it, you know, there, there's a um, there's a, a comment around that you know that. This will be benefit for people who rely on screen reading technology, but there, I think it's too early to to really tell how, you know, how that how this functionality is going to interact. Right. You know, yeah, between I think, I think what would be really cool is if you know, let's say I, I am you know totally blind and I'm using a screen reader, and I come across a website or an article I want to read and I'm using Firefox, I could just say you know read that article, so I could use a combination of my screen reader commands and voice to interact with that website. Right, right. I think that would be an asset. Personally, I believe anything that brings us closer to the world of Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Oh, listen. As um, long as it's natural. Natural speech. You know, not, you know, tea, Earl Grey, hot. You know, you want, you want We might natural. have to start there, though, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and would that be the worst thing? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> it 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 is interesting to me too that Mozilla, you know, are the guys that are that are working on this. I don't know that I, I like I haven't heard anything in terms of you know, Apple or Google or anybody, Microsoft working on anything like this either. I'm wondering, you know, with with Firefox's, you know, market share sort of dropping, um, you know, if if they aren't looking to innovate and try to make something that's that's you know really out of the box that nobody else has to try to sort of regain some of that. Yeah, um, I mean, I I got to tell you, I mean, just in terms of some of the some of the ways in which we use Firefox um, here at PRCVI when we're testing new files and whatnot, um, the fact that they're at the forefront of something like this, which is so clearly an accessibility feature, yeah. um, doesn't actually surprise me very much. Um, you know, I, I've uh, just been aware of a few things that they've been working on over the last few years. I had a, a colleague actually move from the um, 
um, moved from the alt formats community into either she works for uh, Mozilla now um, around th things around accessibility. And so uh, this 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 I'm glad to see this, um, although from a you know from an alt format alternate format perspective, uh, an access perspective, I'm not. I'm not terribly surprised that that Mozilla is the one on uh, on top of this. Yeah, and you know, I don't think it's probably going to be very long before we see Microsoft probably do something similar. They've had such a big push in accessibility over the last couple of years, and you know, including Braille and and all their narrator um, updates that keep coming out, all the documentation. You know, it's becoming a very viable screen reader. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, they've got eye gaze built in to Windows 10. Um, this is just another avenue for them to go down. So, Right. Well, and it's fantastic that companies are, you know, thinking accessibility mm -hmm. at all. But not only that, I mean, these guys are thinking, you know what, uh, an accessibility edge is going to what what is going to give us, you know, a competitive place in the marketplace. That's great. Like, let's let's get everybody oh, yeah. working. I mean, this is this is all part of this broader move to 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 make you know accessibility and inclusive design not just the responsibility of a small group of specialists in the nonprofit sector That's or right. in the government sector. Um, you know, the, the the when you're looking at some of the major points of innovation when it comes to digital accessibility these days, they're coming out of um, you know. Uh, uh, R&D and tech developments in the private sector. It's it's really exciting to see. It, it absolutely is. I mean, like you know, we've said it for a long time, you know, it's accessibility is moving away from being something that's tacked on. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so or or the responsibility of just, you know, a small group of informed specialists. Yep. Um, cause you know, that's really, that's really a very old, well, no, no, it's an older way of thinking about inclusion. It's more, more in line with what used to be called mainstreaming, you know, where, where, and I'm, this is again, another education bias piece coming out here. Um, but you know, where, where students were expected to, like students could be with their typically developing peers, but they had to adapt to what was happening in the environment. And that's where the, all the specialized materials and equipment and staff came in. And now, you know, with, with, with kind of more, you know, more with the, with the conceptualization of, of inclusion that I think we're currently working in, um, you know, it's a, the responsibility is shared across the environment you know, across, you know, there's an expectation that technology and, and um, uh, learning materials across the board are going to, you know, be accessible right out of the box. They're going to be born that way. Yeah. And used and, and used as a selling feature. I, I mean, that's. It, yeah, absolutely. It, it, absolutely. It's, it's not, as you said, it's not an add on anymore. It's, 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 you know, people, well, I do presentations sometimes and, and when I'm talking to um, groups of, let's say, pre-service teachers. And, you know, I say, for those of you who have an iPhone in your pocket, whether you're aware of it or not, you have access to one of the more po most powerful speech-to-text engines available on the market today. Right. Well, and I think, it, you know, another example is, you know, Rob has mentioned before on the show, you know, audio description on Netflix. It's not necessarily for people who are blind or visually impaired. You could be in the kitchen and still following along your favorite Netflix show. 
Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I bet. See, this is, this is where I, I've got this, my perfect example of this is um, I, I, I 3d printed a file that I got from, I think it was Thingiverse about a year ago and it's a Braille periodic table. And so all of the element tiles on the periodic table, if you can picture it are in Braille um, and it's 3d printed, but the thing that's really neat about it, and I can't take any credit for this because this was just an open source file that mm -hmm. I printed. Um, the element tiles are raised in proportion to the density of the element that it represents. Oh, wow. So it's really neat because it gives, let's say, a student who's totally blind instant access to kind of how the elements are arranged on the periodic table and, and the relationship to density. And just, you know, the, as you come from the outside to the inside of the periodic table, things get denser. So it kind of crests in the middle. Hmm, interesting. But, you know, think about every, for every student, just whether you're looking at it, touching it, whatever, you have instant access to that, to that um, concept in a way that a print table of atomic densities wouldn't convey right. either as effectively or in as engaging a manner. Right. So it's, it's this idea that, you know, we, we might, things might be absolutely essential for, for a small group of students, but beneficial to everybody. Yeah, and that's really the key that that people are are finally beginning to realize. You know that accessibility it just benefits everybody almost across the board. There's there's no time when uh, an an accessibility feature um, on any given device wouldn't also benefit somebody who is able bodied. Absolutely, you know there's a there's I'm reminded of the the old chestnut. You know the tide that lifts all boats. That's right. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I used that recently when I was talking to some, um, some folks around, um, uh, inclusive publishing and about how, you know, it, it really, uh, how we're moving to a place where, um, formats, uh, you know, m learning materials, books, novels, textbooks, um, are going to come in a, in an accessible format, you know, right from the publisher. Uh, and that everyone is going to find some functionality there. You know, not everyone might be interacting with the entire text, um, you know, using a screen reader, let's say. Um, but if, if there's more interactive elements, if there's more kind of, you know, multi-sensory access to concepts and ideas in, in, liter in liter uh, literacy materials, you know, then that's just more accessible for everybody. Right. Well, that and again, this is a great segue into our next stories. Now, this is and and this this plays in perfectly to what we're talking about. Okay, so as we all know, everything's going voice controlled. It's it's all the rage right now. Obviously, from from just the stories that we've been talking about and just just what we we know about the you know the the advent of the of all the digital assistants. However, there is of course uh, a segment. Of, of disability that is excluded from this. And that is the, the, the deaf community or the people who are nonverbal. Um, what about them? How, how, does, how do voice assistants play in for them? Well, let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about this because <laughs> I thought this, this is absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. So this guy, because uh, I, I want to give this guy, this guy's, oh, geez, of course. Of course, he would have a complicated name for me to say. 
Okay, I can't say that. Okay, so anyways, we'll, it, it, we'll put the, all this in the show notes. But an app has, is being worked on uh, that would allow uh, people to use uh, sign language to communicate with, uh, in this sense, it's, it's an Alexa. Amazon or, Echo. Sorry, it's an Amazon Echo. Um, just brilliant. So the way the app works is that the app uh, uses a, a, just a laptop camera will recognize ASL, American Sign Language, uh, translate that, um, voice it to an, uh, to an echo, then take what the echo comes back with and prints it off on screen. Um, the, the demo is, is incredible if you watch it. Um, and this is just one guy that's, that's, that's working on this. Some big corporation needs to take this and run with it, and we just need to develop it. Maybe you'd be able to use the Amazon Echo app on your smartphone and the camera on your smartphone and communicate with a bank teller you know, using sign language, and that translation would be done directly on your phone. Yeah. You know, or if you're out ordering coffee somewhere. I read another article that Starbucks is opening its first sign language coffee shop as well. Oh, you know, really? Yeah. So there is a lot of opportunity for a product like this. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that you, and I hate to say, I, I, I don't want to say that we don't hear about it more often. I, I think that it's just that it, it could just be that we don't talk about it enough. Um, but yeah, people who are, who are deaf um, are sort of left out of some of these conversations. Well, and, you know, I think just furthermore, not even from a something that, well, we kind of touched on this in terms of some of the examples that this could be used, but, you know, not only from just a, uh, a voice command and, you know, the more functional sides of things, just like getting, getting things done or getting assistance with something, you know, there's also the communication with others aspect. Um, you know, whether you're ordering coffee or whether you're having a conversation with someone who um, does not use a ASL. Yeah, that's right. You know, the great part about this guy is that, you know, he, he's developed all this himself, uh, but, it, you know, all, this, all his, his code is all open sourced. He's actually hoping that somebody takes what he's done and, and, and continues to develop it. Um, right. you, this, this could be, you know, really, really huge for the, for the, um, the deaf community. All right, we're done with news stories. All right. Thanks, Adam. Talk to you later. Get lost. <laughs> cool. No, uh, uh, no, let's talk. Well, I don't know. We, we, we could, we could just free spin about, about something, some Braille things. I don't know. Do we have any, yeah. got anything? Well, look, actually, you know, it's, I, 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 I did. I'm glad our, our conversation went, you know, towards the more kind of, you know, inclusive design piece. Cause that's something that's like, just, that's just like every day over here for me these days. Is that right? Um, yeah, the, this idea of moving the sole responsibility for the production of alt formats away from, you know, just exclusively a small group of specialists and, and making it more of a priority, um, you know, in inclusive settings across the province. Uh, you know, I think one of the big... Um, one of the one of the frontiers of inclusion that we might not always pay as close attention to is uh, you know how inclusive learning materials are. Right. You know we pay we pay a lot of attention to you know where students are 
educated? You know, are they in a special classroom? Are they in a special school? Are they are they fully integrated with with peers in a community school? Um, and uh, you know, we do a good job of paying attention, I think, also to how inclusive like teaching is our practice. Um, but big thing that I'm thinking about that a number of us are thinking about across the country these and around the world really is this idea of inclusive design and, and how um, how accessible learning materials are um, n and not just for our students with, you know, really clearly, um, you know, clear perceptual disabilities, so like a visual impairment, um, but, you know, that are student that are accessible for all students, you know, maybe the, the student who needs a little bit of text to speech support, right. um, or maybe a student who's new to English as um, uh, uh, English or has English as an additional language. So just, we're just thinking about ways that, um, that, you know, all learning materials could be, could be more accessible. And, and, and so this notion of, of universal design that we, that pretty well, I think cut across all the news stories uh, is is uh, something that's something that's I think you know occupying more and more um, more and more time and space and oxygen uh, at least in in education. Yeah, I, and I would say across the board. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, we're definitely seeing that uh, in the mainstream as well. Um, you know, there are you know mainstream products that are being used as platforms to create you know accessible technology. Uh, you know, one thing that that uh, that Cat sells is the Iris Vision, which is a, essentially a uh, an Oculus Rift VR headset that's been repurposed and used as a platform to create this, uh, you know, low vision aid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, brilliant. You know, and, and by doing that, able to bring the cost down from some of some other similar uh, solutions, but that are that are completely pr proprietary and, you know, they, they sort of build it from the ground up. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, there, there's some, there's some real movement in taking a lot of what's, what's mainstream and, and using it to really create some out of, out of the, out of, out of the box AT solutions. So it's an exciting time. Well, there's, Oh, more. it, it totally is. Yeah. I mean, we're, um, one of the things that I'm really excited, we're, we're kind of uh, working right now on, you know, how we can, uh, how we can get uh, more students using the EPUB file format. Well, I mean, EPUB has been around for a while, but I think what's really come to what, what many have come to realize is that, you know, uh, EPUB is one of the more, uh, I mean, you say in air quotes here, out of the box accessible formats. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something that is, uh, you know, re relatively ubiquitous, but if you, but if you, um, really, uh, promote the accessibility side of it as well, um, you know, you've got something that's available in the, in the quote unquote mainstream, um, that also, uh, ticks a lot of accessibility boxes as well for people who need that extra support. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the, the big hindrances when it comes to, you know, text, EPUB, PDF, is whether they're protected or not. And, you know, having EPUB, yeah. you know, two protected files or EPUB three, which I think allows you to include like media and graphics and all sorts of fun stuff. You know, once we get past this or find a way to work with these protected files, I think that'll really open up the door 
to give more access to a lot more information. You know, publishers already have the digital file. It, it shouldn't take a lot of work to, you know, to change their thinking. No, and, and you know, to that point, Ryan, you know, the, the, the intellectual property and copyright landscape has really shifted in the last few years. Um, and we'll continue to do so, you know, with, with um, uh, you know, Canada being a signatory to the Marrakesh, Marrakesh. Treaty, which is a major landmark yep. uh, international treaty around intellectual property and the availability of, of uh, materials and alternate formats um, for users with or, or readers with perceptual disabilities. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the really, I think the exciting thing here that differs from even when I first came into the field is that there's exciting work happening, but there's exciting work happening at so many different levels mm -hmm. and in so many different sectors that's all starting to converge on um, on some of this around some of this like universal design or or out of the box accessibility stuff. You know, if, if when I first came into the field, you know, when there was, uh, you know, the the a new note taker would come out, you know, that would be a very, that would be a very big thing. And that's where we looked for a lot of development and innovation in our community mm -hmm. was with those more specialized pieces of technology. But now, you know, we're seeing innovation in this area from anywhere from the specialized pieces of technology, right up to the world intellectual property organization. So it's, uh, I think that's one of the really exciting things is that, that, a lot of uh, the different movements are starting to converge around that uh, universal design idea. Yeah. These days, I mean, every day uh, there's, there's, something, there's something, there's, there's something new being developed or there's somebody's trying something new or some 14 year old has created an <laughs> app. Mm -hmm. um, some kid, you know, builds a braille printer out of Lego. I mean, right. it's, you know, right. it's, it's really incredible. It's really, I've never, seen the the assistive technology field being so active that as it is right now or or the the talk of accessibility inclusion and inclusive design i mean it's it's an incredibly exciting time well and you know e even if let's say 10 years ago even if and i don't know maybe this was true maybe it wasn't but even if this type of work was happening it may not have been getting the same kind of attention true. that it is right now but, you know, I think that there's a real, um, you know, there's a real emphasis and there's a real desire to see, um, and I think, the, you know, the inclusion movement has a lot to do with this, that this type of thing where, where, where innovative things like the, the Braille printer out of Lego, I think, is, is, a, is a great example of, you know, something that attracted a lot of attention from not just people in the blindness community yeah. or the Braille, the community of uh, persons who read, read and write in Braille. Um, but it really got a lot of kind of universal attention. That's right. And, you know, t 10 years ago, we might've all, there might've been something cool that would have gone out on a listserv to maybe a hundred people. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. Notice I use listserv there. Yeah. <laughs> You're showing your age. Um, you're going to need one of those super suits soon. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and that's where, you know, that's where, that's where it kind of began and ended. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I, I mentioned before how, you know, my, uh, let's say 10 years ago, or maybe a little less than that, the only news articles that my friends would send me would, would be those news articles that, you know, grossly overstate that the, the, or that announce the death of Braille. Do you know the ones I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, 
nowadays braille gets far more attention around the new and innovative ways in which it's in which it's used i mean look you've got you've got develop go right back where we started our show you know you've got development teams who are working on new interactive dynamic materials that don't replace braille just representing it in a, in in new and more flexible and perhaps more efficient ways right so braille's not dead everybody no good good <laughs> long live no. braille long, far 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 <laughs> from it um yeah no and 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 you know nor is yeah and nor is hard copy braille like actual paper braille dead either um I, you know i'm 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 sitting in a place right now with a warehouse that will prove otherwise um, <laughs> uh it's uh but what what but what we can say though is that students have more tools in their toolbox yeah. right right they've got more ways of accessing literacy materials they're doing it they're doing it through hard copy Braille. They're doing it through refreshable Braille. They're doing it through a combination of refreshable Braille and audio. They're doing it audio only. They're, you know, it's, um, you know, it, 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 I think that it's, you know, to, 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 to say that Braille is dead really just kind of glosses over or paints over all of the really interesting nuances of how Braille is used in 2018. Right. There's another plug. Good one. There you go. I kind of lost track of my tally there, but that's another one. <laughs> Woo. Uh, you see, this is why it's good to do these new shows once a month, Ryan, is that uh, I always feel so optimistic after we do them. I'm just like, yeah, there's all kinds of work being done. Well, you get to go it's home a write a vibrant, blog. exciting field to be in. We've got wearables. We've got super clothing. We've mm, got tactile graphics. We've got all sorts of fun stuff. Oh, it's going to be great. The future's great. Let's let's see if we can ride that enthusiasm until at least the afternoon. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I've, yeah, and we can because, like, like I said, there's so many exciting things happening now, and it's not just coming in from a from a small group of committed specialists. No. You know, I, I think the really exciting piece um, is that you know I've got people who maybe have never thought about about accessibility before come calling me and saying, you know. I've, I've read somewhere that there are standards for web accessibility. Where can I find them? Wow. Like really? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, and, and it's not just in response to legislation, although part of, part of it is, you know, in certain sure. parts of the country, we have provincial legislation that includes among other things, um, you know, uh, specifications around did online accessibility, but just, you know, I've, I've, I've got people from, you know, around the education sector and, and beyond who are, at, who are curious about, um, you know, about, about digital accessibility and about, and, and, and curious about what they could be doing better. Now I'm not an expert in digital accessibility, I mean, I can point them to the web content accessibility guidelines, but, <laughs> um, it's uh, no, it, it's it's really exciting. You know, I, I find another big shift is that when it comes to inclusive design and accessibility, rather than specialists having to go to the quote unquote mainstream and reminding them of their responsibilities in this area, it's actually we've got the mainstream, a quote unquote mainstream folks coming to the specialists saying, hey, what could we be doing better? Right. So that's that's another that's another optimistic point that, you know, is, is, uh, it, it's, it, it go, it goes beyond the sunshine unicorns and puppy dogs of the world. <laughs> it's, it's actual, it, it, you know, it's, I, I see it as an actual like positive movement moving forward. 
Yep. I agree. See, Ryan? Yeah. See, that's why Ryan's been so quiet this episode, because it's all been... It's all been sunshine and lollipops. Puppies. <laughs> that's right. He hates, he hates unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> He's always throwing rocks at unicorns, <laughs> kicking puppies. Oh, I don't, I, know. I don't kick puppies. Okay, fine. I, 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 retract, I retract that accusation, Ryan. I'm sorry. I love puppies. He does glare at them, though. <laughs> Gives them dirty looks. No, it's just you. No, oh, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> That's, yeah, you're conflating some things. Here. <laughs> uh, hey, Adam. You know, what? thanks so much for uh, for joining us and helping us oh, out today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, listen, is before we go, is, anything you want to uh, plug? Anything you want to talk about, real quick, before uh, we go? Um, no, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to to plug the Braille Challenge. So, you know, if if anyone, if any of your listeners have. Uh, uh, students who read and write in Braille. Um, it's just, uh, it's a posing that question to your teacher of students with visual impairments about like, Hey, do we have access to a regional, uh, Braille challenge or, and if not, could we, uh, could we start one? And, um, yeah. And, and hopefully I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll get you guys to, 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 to link in the notes to my, to my Twitter. Um, so sure. that if people have any questions about anything I've said or want to get more information on the Braille challenge that um, they can either, of course, Google it, which is, you know, the utmost expert on everything, um, or they can uh, reach out to me. Perfect. We will certainly do that. Wonderful. Um, all right. Well, listen, Adam, we'll let you go. Uh, thanks again so much for, uh, for helping us out. And uh, let's, you know what, let's uh, plan. We'll, we'll have you on again. Let's do a Braille centric show. Let's do like a Braille Palooza. Love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Always always happy to come on. Okay, I'll talk to Ryan and we'll set it up. Perfect. All right. Take care. Okay, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. He's, he's got too much energy. Yeah, look at <laughs> Kept looking over at you. just like, ah, oh, I hate this. <laughs> it's too positive. <laughs> That's right. It's just, is this the first news show in two and a half years that we had no negativity? Maybe or very little. <laughs> you tried, you tried, but I shut wow. you. I shut you down oh, real well. quick. What can you do? Yeah, it's fine. You'll be back next week. Uh, maybe. Yeah, you will. We'll see. You can't stay away. All right. Hey, Ryan. Yes, sir. Where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also send us an email if they so desire. They uh, can. They can, uh, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. They can also find us on Facebook at atbanter, all one word, and Twitter at at underscore banter. Um, Canadian Assistive Technology. Ryan, why don't you tell the fine folks where people can find Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, fine folks, you can find Canadian Assistive Technology at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S. T-E-C-H dot com and check out our new video we just posted. I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to see our ugly mugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, or listen to our incredibly nasally whiny voices. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you can uh, you can see our new video right there on the homepage. All right, we also have another partner, Rick Chant with Chaos Technical Services. Where can people find out more about him? Uh, they can go plug in www.chaostechnicalservices, all one word, dot com, and uh, it'll take it to his spectacular website where you can get all the information on all the servicing that he does on any and all assistive technology. Excellent. Uh, I think that's it, Ryan. 
I believe so. We can go back out into the heat. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it is yeah. hot. They're saying I might go into next week too, which really makes me sad. Oh, really? I don't. I like the low to mid twenties. This, yeah. you know, thirty and 30s. thirty and above is just hot. It's gross. Although, Can't sleep at night. Although, man, we don't get the humidity that they do back east. No, so for sure. That's you know, we don't have much to complain about. Oh yeah, when they're These getting forties, forty fives, and fifties, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, we are fortunate that way. But still, we'll complain because it's human nature. Yep. Uh, all right, sir. Let's uh, let's get out of here. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take. <laughs>